Acts 1, 12 to 26. When they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry with which Judas left to go to where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. This is God's word for us this morning. When I was in high school, I went to a bunch of youth group retreats and Christian conferences because that's kind of what you do when you're a Christian kid in high school. And I especially remember one conference I went to with a group from the public high school that I attended. We had a regular Bible study and prayer meeting at that school, and so we got a bunch of people together from that group, and then we got a number of non-Christian friends to go along to the conference. And it was a really good conference. There was a lot of fun things to do. The speakers were powerful and persuasive. The prayer times were deep and meaningful. The worship and the music was incredible. And for high schoolers, loud, which is important. And it was a good weekend. And we had a bunch of people from our group who recommitted their lives to Christ. And we even had some of those non-Christian friends who had kind of been dragged along commit their lives to Jesus for the first time. It was a great time. It was really a mountaintop experience. And after the last day of that conference, as we drove back to school, Mr. Larson, who was sort of the official school sponsor for the group, stopped the car, put it in park in the school parking lot, turned around to the kids who had committed their lives to Christ, and said, man, we had a great weekend. I am so excited you came. I am really glad that you accepted Christ. This is an incredible thing. And I think God is going to feed you like crazy for the next couple weeks or maybe the next couple months. But then things are going to change. Eventually, you're going to come down off this mountain high that you're on, and you're going to be tempted to just go back to your regular life. You'll be tempted to do all the things you used to do. You'll be tempted to just shrug Jesus off 
and go back to hanging with your friends like you used to. You're probably going to have a dry time, but you need to keep going. Now, at the time, I thought Mr. Larson was being kind of a downer, but as it turned out, he was on to something. I suspect that most of us have had those mountaintop experiences. Maybe you went to a conference like Dare to Share or a youth group retreat. Maybe you went on a service project. Who knows? But great things happen. We really grow in our faith at those times, but then we come back to regular life. And regular life can be a real downer after a spiritual high. It's hard to know what to do after the mountaintop experience is over. Well, in Acts, just before the section that we read for today, the disciples had had a literal mountaintop experience. They had gone to the Mount of Olives with Jesus. Jesus had been teaching them. And then right in front of their eyes, Jesus had ascended up to heaven on a cloud. And while the disciples were still staring up into the sky, some angels came to them and said, Why are you standing around? Jesus is going to come back someday in just as amazing of a way as he went up. So at the beginning of our text for today, in verse 12, the disciples go back to Jerusalem. They go back from the Mount of Olives. They come down from the heights. And for a little while, at least, they're back to regular life. And you can imagine the disciples on the way home kind of looking at each other and saying, Well, what do we do now? Well, what the disciples did next can show us what to do next as we come down from mountaintop experiences and as we lead our regular lives of faith. As we, along with the disciples, continue to wait for our ascended Lord and Savior to return, what we need to do is we need to gather with God's people, we need to read the scriptures, and we need to be continually in prayer. When the disciples came down from the mountaintop, the first thing they did was to gather together. And then they kept getting together. Verse 13 lists some of the big names, the apostles especially. And then verse 15 tells us they had about 120 people getting together regularly. And verse 14 tells us that these people were joining continually in prayer. This wasn't just a one-time come-down-from-the-mountaintop event. This was an ongoing getting together, spending time with each other, talking together, reading the scriptures together, encouraging each other, and praying together. And today still, one of the things we need to seek after mountaintop experiences is the community of believers. When we come down from the mountaintop, we need to go to the church. If we're going to keep following Jesus, we need to be continually together with other believers in real, ongoing, significant ways. There's this classic Christian proverb that goes, you can't have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. You can't have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. Now, the guy who first said that lived just a couple hundred years after Jesus, but that still holds true today. It is almost impossible to really follow God unless you are really, really part of the church, the people of God. And by being part of the church, I don't mean that you just need to have your names on the membership list somewhere, or you need to show up to worship every now and then. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to be really connected to the community of believers. If you are not 
sharing your life with other believers, you probably will not have the strength to really follow Jesus. We need other believers from the beginning of our faith until the day we die. The church, the gathered people of God, is what first forms us as Christians. Almost without exception, people first come to belief through the witness of believers, through the work of the church. Now, this is true for those people who come to Christ later in life who have what we call a conversion experience and come to belief in a new way. But this is also true for those of us who grew up in the church and who have no memory of a time before we were Christian. From our very first moments, we learned the faith from other believers, from our parents, from Sunday school, from being in church, from doing the things that Christians do together. Well, that's how people become Christians. Almost without exception, people become Christians because of the faith that's been modeled to them by others. And even after we come to belief, we still need to be part of the community in order to survive and grow. Without the church community, we almost always slide away from faith. Without encouragement in the faith from others, it's almost impossible to hold on to faithfulness. In college, I knew this guy who was bound and determined that he was going to use his career to go to places where Christians wouldn't usually go. He wanted to work in a bar or a club or somewhere where you just would not expect to meet Christians. And he was going to go out there with the love of Christ and he was going to go to places where people didn't usually go as Christians and he was going to change people's lives and he was going to change the world. Now, those were all great goals. It was a great thing he wanted to do, but the problem came in when he tried to do it all on his own for a variety of reasons. You know, funny work schedules, sort of drifting away from college friends, moving to a new place. This guy lost touch with the believing community, and he dropped out of the church. And one thing led to another. Changes and compromises kept adding up, and a few years down the road, he woke up, he looked in the mirror, he thought about his life, and he realized that he didn't look any different anymore than those people he was trying to witness to in the dark places. Instead of changing the world, he had been changed by the world. If we're serious about following God, we cannot be loners in the faith. Without a community to keep us together, we drift away. And this is even true, and maybe it's especially true in our individualistic 21st century North America. Our national motto might be, keep your distance and let me do my own thing. Thank you very much. And we as Christians often, even without realizing it, buy the individualism that our culture sells. And we make our faith just our own personal business. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm cool. Just, just stay out of my way, okay? But the irony of trying to do things on our own and keeping everybody else at a distance is that without real community, we end up stunting our own spiritual growth. Christians who try to do everything on their own almost always end up as spiritual midgets. We need to be part of the whole body if we're going to survive and if we're going to thrive. So today, I urge you, get over doing your own thing with the faith. Get involved in the fellowship of believers. Put down roots. Spread out branches. Become an integrated part of the body of Christ 
and in particular of this church. Gather together with other believers in worship, yes, but also get involved in small groups. Be real with other Christians. Invest in the Christian community of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And also let yourself be formed and guided by that community. We can't always live on the mountaintops, but we can always keep joining together as other, with other believers to follow and obey our Lord. And of course, one of the best ways that we learn how to follow and obey our Lord is by spending time in the Bible together. In Acts 1, after the believers have spent some time gathering together and praying, Peter stands up and he gives a little sermon. In the first few verses of Acts, Jesus had told his apostles that the Holy Spirit would come on them sometime soon and they would be Jesus' witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And apparently Peter has been meditating on Jesus' words and on the Old Testament and he stands up and he says that he's come to the conclusion that they need the full 12 apostles to be the official witnesses of Jesus' life and resurrection. So Peter says it's time to leave aside Judas, the apostate apostle, and choose someone else to fill his position among the 12. Now Peter doesn't stand up with a particular verse from the Old Testament that says, when Judas Iscariot turns out to be a traitor, and the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, then the 11 remaining apostles need to get together and choose this guy to fill Judas' position. That's not really how the scriptures work. But what the scriptures do for the apostles is it gives them a guide. It gives them a resource to think over, to pray over, to talk about, and to move forward with as they discern God's will and his guidance for their particular situation. Now today still, the Bible doesn't often give us really, really specific step-by-step instructions for the choices we need to make in life. There are lots of things the Bible tells us to do and not do. We need to love God. We need to love other people. We need to not do wrong things. A lot of those big picture things are really clear in the Bible. But there's also a lot of things in life that we have questions about, that the big points of the Bible give us guidance, but we have to apply them to the unique circumstances of our lives. We shouldn't always expect that God is going to give us clear step-by-step-by-step instructions for things like whether we should take a particular job or not, whether we should move one place or another. Those sorts of things we don't always get 100% clarity. But what we can expect is that God will always work through his word to reframe our living, to reframe our thinking, to match his will and to become more and more like him. When we read and study the Bible together as God's people, God makes us wise so that we know what his will is in the particular circumstances in which we find ourselves. God didn't give us the Bible to be a crystal ball that we could just open up and say, okay, this is what I need to do right now. God gave us the Bible so that we would know how to follow him. The Bible gives us guidelines for what we should do, and it gives us encouragement to do things in the way that God calls us to do. When we come back from the mountaintop and we enter the murkiness of regular life, we don't need the Bible always to tell us, make this small decision today and this small decision tomorrow. 
But what we do need the Bible to do is to orient us to the truth, to guide us in the direction God is leading. And so each of us individually needs to be spending regular time in the scriptures. We as a community need to be gathering and reflecting on the word together. And we as a community and as individuals need to be always gathering and reading the Bible and asking, how does this matter for our present circumstances? What does God's word have to say for us in the here and now as we do our best to follow God's guidance in this murky world? And of course, as we do that, we need to be continually, continually, continually in prayer. After Peter has stood up and made his case for picking another man to fill Judas' spot, the believers together propose two candidates. And then, just like the disciples and the other people there have been praying and praying and praying, they pray again in verses 24 and 25. They ask the Lord to show them which of these two men he has already chosen to carry forward the ministry. The references to prayer in this section of Acts aren't just nice little sidelines. They are right at the center of the text. The prayers of God's people, along with reflection on the word together, lead us on the right course, step by step. And today still, we need to be constantly in prayer. Prayer cannot be just a short pause in our lives or a little break while we, you know, we take a break from other things. When we pray, it matters. When we pray, we are opening ourselves and our church up to God's leading. When we pray, we grow in faith. Prayer is one of the main ways that God opens up our minds and our hearts to know and to do His will. So this week, let me give you the simple challenge to pray. If you pray regularly, just pray a little bit more this week. If you aren't in the habit of praying regularly, make sure that you spend a little bit of time every day this week praying. Even if you just spend one minute a day in prayer, pray. Be intentional about it. If you don't have words, you don't know how to start, well, find the Lord's Prayer or find a good psalm and just pray by reading the Bible and reflecting on it and listening and seeing what words God might give you. Just like the believers in Acts were constantly praying together, we need to be praying all the time about anything and everything. Along with the church and the Bible, prayer gives us the connection we need to stay strong in our faith when the mountaintop experiences fade away. And the mountaintop experiences will always fade away. It's a blessing to have these, these spiritual mountaintop experiences. It was great for the disciples to hear Jesus preaching and teaching. It was great for them to witness his ascension to heaven. But after that, they still had to come down from the mountaintop and keep serving the Lord the next day and the next day and the next day. After that conference I went to in high school, Mr. Larson wrapped up his little semi-motivational parking lot speech by saying, when you come down from the mountaintop, and you will, you need to keep holding on to Jesus. You need to keep reading the Bible. You need to keep praying. You need to keep coming to our group to read the Bible and pray with other believers. And if you can push through the dry time that will come, you will find that Jesus will be with you through all the peaks and all the valleys of your Christian walk. 
Now, as I walked home that afternoon, I wondered how things would turn out for the people who had made that fresh commitment to Jesus Christ at that conference. And pretty quickly, they went two very different ways. There were a couple of those people who didn't really change much. They maybe were a little bit nicer. You could tell every now and then they were making a little bit of effort, but really, they went, they had a mountaintop experience, they left, and it was done. The seed that was planted there didn't bear much fruit, at least that I ever saw. But there were a couple others for whom that mountaintop experience changed the course of their life. Their faith persisted and it transformed all kinds of things. They had a new peace. They had a new joy. They had new courage and new strength to face adversity. And adversity did come in their lives. They had good news to share with others, and they kept bringing more people into the faith. And the difference between those two groups was that the people who stuck around kept showing up to gatherings of other believers. They kept reading the Bible, and they kept praying. There wasn't really a magic formula. It was just doing the things that believers do and doing them with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that... God was able to carry them through the mountains and valleys of their lives. It is great for us to have mountaintop experiences, but we can't live on the mountaintops. We eventually always come back to regular life. But even though we live in a time when we don't see God right with us, always, always obvious in our lives, He is still carrying us through. Christ continues to work in our lives He carries us through in his strength, not our own strength. But some of the primary means that God uses to carry us through this life are the gathering of believers, the scriptures, and prayer. So when you come down from those mountaintop times, you need to dive deeply into the church. You need to dig deeply into the scriptures, and you need to go deep in prayer. When we hold on to those things, when we grab onto the means that God has given us to build up our Christian lives, we more and more see God walking with us through the peaks and through the valleys of all of our own journeys.